Well, good morning. Take your Bibles and find your way to Ephesians chapter 4. It's good to be together on this first Lord's Day of 2022. I'm not sure what kind of emotions go through your mind and heart as you consider a new year. Are you more full of optimism or regret? Or maybe it's just a mixture of both. That's likely true for all of us. Whatever you might be thinking or feeling this morning about a new year, I'd like on this first Sunday of 2022 to encourage us and remind us about the vital importance of the Bible for us as a church family. Now, this kind of focus at the new year is fairly common for us here with Highlands Baptist Church, and I hope we don't tire of it because it's important. New Year's is notoriously known for a time of reflection and resolutions. I know there's all sorts of cheesy jokes about resolutions and funny memes about resolutions. Whether it's eating habits or exercise habits or time management habits, the spirit of our age is looking for something fast, some exciting new strategy to experience growth and self-improvement. There's advertisements and invitations for you to subscribe to what they're offering, which is going to change you this year. The danger that poses for us as Christians who live in a modern age with those influences is that we can become kind of imprinted with that spirit of our age as we think about our spiritual life. We can subtly begin to think that if only we had this exciting new strategy or plan or fill in the blank, then we would be more spiritually mature, we would be happier, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Well, we can subtly begin to think that, and the result of those forces on us is that we can unknowingly begin to look past what God has given to gather and grow his church. What has God given to gather and grow his church? It's very obvious. It's the Bible. At its most basic element, it's the Bible. Now, this is good news because it's wonderful that God has given us this kind of clear instruction about what he intends to use to gather and grow his church, his word. There's all sorts of other mysteries about the spiritual life that we can speculate and debate about, okay? There's a lot of those. But God's plan for his church to gather and grow is not a mystery. He's given us very clear instruction about that. For instance, Ephesians chapter 4. Jared read a passage from that this morning uh, during during the, the prayer. God gives a roadmap, a plan for his church about how it should gather and how it should grow, how it should function as a church. In Ephesians 4, um, we're told that God gives gifts to equip the, for the, the, the church congregation for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's in Ephesians 4, verse 12. As you keep reading in Ephesians 4, you learn that, that building up the body of Christ has a goal, has an end in mind. It's going to look like something. And that goal is found in verse 13 when it says that we should all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, there's a lot in there, but you can summarize it as God intends for his church to gather and grow through the means of the word of God, being given to the people of God, to equip them for the work of God. And the result is that we spiritually grow up together as God's people. The apostle Peter put it this way in Second Peter. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is what God wants for us as a church family this year. He wants for us as a church family to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. How do we do that? How are we going to see that accomplished in our lives? 
Now, this is where our modern proclivities are going to kind of lean into because we're kind of wishing that there was some sort of new, exciting way to do this. Like, give us something exciting so that we can experience this in new, fresh ways this year. And what I'm going to do is give you an old answer to that. The way we're going to do that is through God's ordinary means of grace. The way that we will grow as a church family the way that we will continue to gather and to grow and to proclaim the glories of God in our area is through the ordinary means of God's grace. Now, the ordinary means of God's grace, that's a turn of phrase that's used to summarize the ordinary elements and activities of the Christian life that are described in the Bible. None of this is going to be new for for church members here at Highlands. If you're a guest and Christianity is kind of new, this may seem rather strange, but this is God's plan for his people. And it's good for us to kind of remind ourselves of this and recommit ourselves to these basics. What are the ordinary means of grace specifically? Well, there's a lot, and I can't list them all. But they're simple things like reading the Bible, preaching the Bible, singing the Bible, praying the Bible, and proclaiming the Bible through the ordinances. There's probably a couple of others that we could fit in there, like the fellowship that we have as as Christians, one another, in encouraging each other in the spiritual life. We could throw that in there as well. But in this sermon, I want to call us to re-pledge ourselves in the strength that God provides to these ordinary means of God's grace for us as we look ahead at 2022. I want us to reaffirm our commitment to and dependence on God's word. Now, here's a challenge. It's easy to do that mentally. It's easy to sit in a service and hear something like this kind of thrown out to you and say, yeah, it's easy to give lazy mental assent. The challenge is, are we willing to believe this so that our lives are changed, so that we actually function differently? The Bible matters. Why does it matter so much for Christians? It matters because it alone is what brings life to God's people and it alone is what sustains the life of God's people. So I'd like to prove that to you very quickly. And this is going to be kind of a fire hose portion of a sermon. I'm sorry, but um, I want to just kind of stack up some scriptures. Not a whole lot. Don't get worried. Stack up some scriptures to try to convince us of the indispensable nature of God's word in the life of a Christian. Why does God's word matter so much? Well, 1 Peter 1 says that we are born again into God's family by means of God's word. It says we've been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And then further down it says the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that, I, that was preached to you. The good news of the gospel of Jesus is what was preached to them, and that's what brought them into new life in Christ. Or Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the message of Christianity, the good news of Jesus dying for sinners, rising again to offer them new life through faith. It's the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The word of God is important because we come to faith by hearing the word of Christ. The word of God is what fuels your faith. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If you want to have a flourishing faith, you need God's word. Why is God's word important? Because we spiritually grow by means of God's word. 1 Peter 2, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. 
It's talking about this spiritual growth that you will experience. Or John 17, 17. Sanctify them. Mature them spiritually. That's what that word sanctify means. Mature them spiritually. Sanctify them in the truth. What is the truth? Your word is truth. Or Acts 20, verse 32. Now I command you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Why is God's word important? Well, because it's, it alone is what can set you free. It liberates you. John 8 says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. These are the words of Jesus. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And on and on we could go. This is just a sampling. But friends, I hope that these reminders from the word of God will encourage you to cherish the essential nature of God's Word and how important it is for our spiritual flourishing as God's people. Nothing can replace the Word of God. One of the clearest expressions of the effectiveness of Scripture is found in Isaiah chapter 55. I'll have it there on screen for us. Isaiah 55, here's the words of the prophet. God, through the words of the prophet Isaiah, he uses the analogy. You can see it here, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it out. Just like a farmer casts seed and there's an expectation that the seed will grow and will produce a harvest, that's the expectation that you can have with God's word. When it is sown in the hearts of people, it will do its work. That is God's plan for his people. So then, part of the answer then, or part of the question that we have to answer is, do we believe that God's word is like that? Do we believe that God's word is sufficient and effective to do what it must in us to be God's people? So then part of the reason, part of the way we answer that is by asking ourselves, what role then does God's word have in our life? Talking is cheap. It's easy. What, what role does God's word have in our life? What role does it have in your personal life? And what role does it have in our gathered corporate life? So the ordinary means of God's grace all then flourish, orbit around the Bible. So I'd like to encourage us this year in just a couple of, in a few ways to recommit ourselves to these ordinary means of grace. To be a people who will live by faith, depending and expecting God to use these ordinary ways to accomplish dramatic transformation in us in time through these means. What is the first ordinary means of grace? Reading the Bible. I'd like to ask all of us as members to pursue the habit of regularly reading the Bible this year. This is something we encourage this church family to do every year. Here it is again, okay? There's nothing else that can replace the Bible in your life. Nothing. Podcasts and sermons and books are all good in their own way. They can help us understand God's Word better, but nothing can replace the Word of God itself, nothing is sufficient. Nothing is capable of doing what God's Word alone can do. The promises that we just went through are unique to the Scriptures. It's a book like none other. Nothing can replace it for reading it yourself. This is one of the reasons that we usually have a time in our morning service when we read the Bible aloud. That's, that's deliberate. 
It's not just like, well, it's a churchy, we need a churchy thing to do this morning, so we just keep throwing this in. No, it's deliberate. We, we know as that we must depend upon God's Word to bring life to us. And so that's why you hear God's Word read in between songs or before the sermon. As elders, we want for you to be assured that if you come on a Sunday, and maybe you haven't read God's Word at all this past week, you will hear God's Word read this morning. In fact, we as a church are commanded to do that. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 to devote yourself to the public reading of the Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Now, rather than spend the rest of our sermon time today unpacking read your Bible, which we've done in the past, and I think it's a worthy thing to do, I'd like to give some simple recommendations. These are very simple, very brief, that I hope will help us renew our God's strength and efforts in reading the Bible this year. I'd encourage us to use a Bible reading plan. Now, if you hear those words and you react like, oh, that just sounds stifling, uh, hang in there, okay? I'd encourage us to do that because if, we don't, if you don't have a plan, you likely won't read because you won't know where to start. It's like, oh, I should read my Bible. And you look at this massive book with a bunch of books, and you're like, like where do I open it? And it can become a, a, really a, a, a hurdle that you just can't get over. Or you might be thinking, oh, I should read my Bible this week. And so you open the Bible up to the same place. You always open your Bible up. Now, that's good. I'm glad you're reading your Bible, but you're missing out on all sorts of goodness of God in other places in the Bible that you haven't yet discovered. And that's where a plan can be helpful. Now, as I talk about a plan, some of you are feeling a burden of guilt and misery about this plan becoming a monster in like May or, or March or February when you get behind and now there's all these empty checkboxes glaring at you every time you look at your Bible. So I'd like just to forget about all of that. The plan is simply a strategy for you to open God's Word and read it when you do that. That plan can be a year plan. It can be a six-month plan if you're an overachiever. It can be an 18-month plan. It can be a two-year plan. That, that's okay. I'm just encouraging us as a church family to have a plan to read God's Word this year. How will you receive God's Word personally, privately this year? What's your plan? Choose one. And then number two, I'd like to encourage you to read the Bible privately more than for yourself. For instance, um, you will wake up many days not feeling like reading the Bible. In fact, you may be embarrassed at how often that happens. That's, that's ordinary Christianity. That's what it means to live the Christian life behind enemy lines here in this world. So, you will likely be lacking the motivation to read it for yourself personally. But there is something powerful that God knows about us being bound together as a church family. And there's organizations around the world that understand the power of living for something bigger than yourself, for others, for a group, for a team. And I'd like to encourage you to understand that your Bible reading privately is part of you being a member of a church corporately. Don't read the Bible just for yourself. Do that, yes, for your own personal flourishing. But friends, I'd like to encourage you to read the Bible privately because this church family needs you to do that. There are Christian brothers and sisters sitting near you that someday in this, in this next year are going to need God's grace from His Word through you. And you will not, we will not have the spiritual wisdom or understanding to help each other follow Jesus through the complexities of life and, and the dangers of life in this sin-cursed world if we are not regularly reading our Bibles. We will have nothing good to offer one another. Nothing that will truly anchor our souls and give us the ballast of faith that is necessary to live life through the complexities of the sin-cursed world.
So please, read your Bible. I'd encourage you to have a plan. If you want some suggestions on a plan, I can give them to you. There's lots out there. They're easy. They're free. Have a plan. And then remember this. You read a Bible as a member of a church. You're not just trying to be some superhero Christian. You're trying to be an ordinary Christian that's ready to help other ordinary Christians follow Jesus. But reading the Bible is not the only way that we receive God's means of grace, not the only ordinary means of grace. Another one of them is preaching the Bible. Preaching is the persuasive proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All through the gospels, the teaching and preaching ministry of Jesus was essential. Jesus actually left towns where there were still sick people because he must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. You find that in Luke chapter 4. As we keep reading through the New Testament, like in Acts, all of the events that happen in Acts are orbiting around the preaching ministry, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in different areas. And then as you continue forward, you hear the last words of the Apostle Paul to his, to his disciple uh, Timothy when in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he tells Timothy to preach the word. Preaching is an essential part of God's plan for his people. It's another ordinary means of grace. Now, this year, one of the ways that God plans to spiritually mature us and build us up as a body of Christ to equip us for the work of the ministry is through receiving the preaching of God's word. And so, as we look at 2022, I'm encouraging us as church members to recommit ourselves to the priority of gathering together to receive the ministry of the preached word of God. Now, please don't misunderstand This isn't some kind of passive-aggressive tactic to guilt us into some self-righteous achievement of church attendance. That's not it at all. It's simply that God has shown us in His Word that His plan for His people to grow includes the ministry of God's Word being preached. This is about us recognizing our need for God to change us, and one of the ordinary ways that He changes us is through preaching. Expository preaching is one of the best ways to expose your heart to God's Word. It's the way it it believes in the power of the Word of God to change lives. The elders of this church have nothing, have no ability to change you. We can't. All we are simply called to do is use God's Word to invite and persuade you of this truth, but it is God's Word that does the work inside of your heart to change you. And He does that through through preaching. Now, you might think that I'm exaggerating the importance of preaching. Maybe... You're inwardly rolling your eyes at the preacher who is preaching about the importance of preaching. Come on, right? Well, I realize that a single sermon is unlikely to have a dramatic effect of change in your life. That sometimes happens. Sometimes it does. But I realize that a sermon usually is not just kind of this dramatic, life-changing aha moment. But because we live in a world where faster and newer is quote-unquote better and innovation is celebrated, we can then sadly get become bored with the ordinary means of God's grace given to us through faithful preaching. No, one sermon is likely not going to radically change your life. Maybe, but probably not. Not happening every week. Most of the sermons that I preach are ordinary. Most of the sermons that we as elders preach are ordinary. Friends, that's okay because what God can accomplish when we hear God's word faithfully preached, not just once or twice, but 50, 100, 200 times as the years stack up, the amount of change that God can accomplish in us is dramatic. He truly can transform people. 
So as we look ahead at 2022, I'd like us to renew our commitment to the priority and the importance of preaching. This means that, really, I mean, let's just be honest. We have lost some of the, the perspective of the importance of gathering and the preached word because it's accessible so many other ways. You could go home and listen to sermons for the rest of the day from, from churches around the country and around the world. You could do that. You could adjust your schedule to be whatever you want it to be and tune in to a sermon preached at any time. It's so easily accessible that we can be like, well, I can, I can get preaching whenever I want, however I want. But friends, you are then missing out on what God intends for his people to gather and grow together. And so I'd like to encourage you to assess and strengthen your commitment to gathering with, with God's people to then expect to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus together as you receive ordinary sermons that proclaim the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So read the Bible and preach the Bible. What's another ordinary means of God's grace? Singing the Bible. Singing the Bible. Our singing is another way to receive God's ordinary means of grace. Now, some of you may have heard some singing this morning that makes you doubt that. It didn't seem like God was graciously blessing you. I don't know. Just kind of being silly with us this morning. Have you ever marveled at how unusual our Sunday morning gatherings are? When we just think of just slices of, of modern day society, how strange it is. I mean, here we got together and it was ordinary for us to sing together, not just once or twice. We've done it a few times already and we're going to sing some more. This is very unusual, right? I, I can't really understand any other group of people that does this other than choirs. But that's kind of obvious, right? That doesn't count. Because if you're in a choir, you get together because you expect to sing, because it's a choir. But we're a church. We're not really a church choir, but I guess the congregation kind of qualifies as that. It's very unusual. Why do we do this? Is it just meaningless tradition? It's not. And that would be a whole other sermon about looking at how God has, through the ages, his people have been a singing people. This isn't some new modern day thing. We sing as God's people because God tells us to. This is God's plan for us to gather and grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's one of the ways that God intends to use his word in an ordinary way to change us little by little. In Colossians 3.16, this was read this morning by Steve in the opening, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There's the Bible again, right? Can't get away from it, huh? Isn't it obnoxious, right? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. How are we going to do that? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Singing Bible truth together is an important God-designed, ordinary means of grace in our life. It's one of the ways that we instruct and warn one another about living the Christian faith in this world. This idea is repeated by Paul to the, uh, the church in Ephesus in chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. He says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. This is heartfelt praise, not mechanical, empty praise. So, church family, I want to encourage us as we look ahead at 2022, encourage us to recommit our efforts to singing the Bible together. Now, you might say, hang on, when do we sing the Bible? I mean, we have never said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We've never put that into some sort of weird chant-like song. You're right, we haven't. We sing the Bible Every time that we sing Bible truth, that's when we sing the Bible. 
The elders of this church carefully select and evaluate every song we sing because we believe that our singing is actually a part of the ministry of the Word. It is part of the proclamation of the Word of God. When we sing like this, we are proclaiming Bible truth to each other in memorable and poetic ways. And singing has a way of weaving truth, weaving those, those words, those lyrical lines into our hearts and minds in ways that we remember them, these beautiful truths about Jesus that can soften hard hearts. And we need that every week, don't we? Think about the song we sang before the sermon, My Soul Finds Rest. That is based on Psalm 62. We sang these words, My soul finds rest in God alone, my rock and my salvation, a fortress strong against the foes, and I will not be shaken. Now listen as I read the first two verses of Psalm 62. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. It's likely that you're not going to remember what I just read from Psalm 62. You might have some general note, ideas about the notion of it, but it's, it's far more likely that you will remember some of the lines of the song we sang. A line or two, what you are remembering is the Word of God. And here's what's, here's what's great. When we sing together, we are hearing one another proclaim and teach and admonish each other with these words of God, with these lines, with these phrases, these poetic ways to remember God's words. So I'd like to please encourage us to keep giving enthusiastic effort to the ministry of singing. Overall, I think as a church family, we do well with this, but we have to keep working at it, otherwise we'll lose it. It's ordinary, it's simple, but it's important. So moms and dads, do your kids see you singing? Do they see you kind of abandon yourself a bit with the glories that are ours as Christians? Do they see you singing? Say, well, I don't really feel like singing. Why does the world have to, why does everything have to be against you about your feelings? You're not just a creature who feels. I'm not saying feelings aren't important. They are. God created them, yes. But he created us as more than just people of feelings. And moms and dads, I'd like to encourage you to enthusiastically engage in singing. Let your kids see you sing. Even when your hearts are saddened and grief-stricken, to know that there is a God who is glorious and great and can be trusted. To our older saints in here, please sing. You might think, ah, oh, my voice is weak, my, my strength is weak, I can't offer anything, it doesn't really matter. Your singing does matter. Listen, the best of us can, who can sing in here aren't impressing God. We're not. God has got creatures that can sing way better than us. He invented it to begin with. How are we going to impress Him? So older Christians, please sing. Your singing matters because you've lived longer. You've seen God's faithfulness and steadfast love in ways that younger Christians haven't. And when you sing, when you engage in singing, you are a public testimony of the faithfulness of God. Teenagers, yes, sing. One day you will be no longer a teenager. You will be the leaders of your own families. And you are learning now the rhythms of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to sing. So please don't be so preoccupied about what you think others might be thinking about you as we sing and get lost a little bit in the glories that are ours in Christ. Sing. Children, sing. There's few things in the world that are so powerful in their simple beauty than the voices of children singing. It was wonderful to hear them sing a couple of weeks ago during their Christmas time. 
uh, service. Psalm chapter 8, God says this about children. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength. God delights and promises to use even the singing of children to establish his strength. So the voices of this church family combined are the most important part and the most important instrument of our music ministry. The instruments, the lead singers, are there to encourage us as a church family to sing. And there is an important means of God's grace that we receive as we gather together and sing. Nothing can replace what God intends for us to experience together by singing the Bible truth with one another. So then, as we look ahead at 2022, let's renew our commitment to singing the Bible together. It's ordinary, right? It's simple. I mean, here we sing some songs like, ah, what's going on? It's not about performance. It's not about entertainment. It's about teaching and admonishing one another with these songs of spiritual truths. Well, the final ordinary means of grace we're looking at this morning, and this will lead us into our observance of communion, is we proclaim the Bible through the ordinances. Another means of of God's grace is through the ordinances, through observing the ordinances together. Jesus himself is the one who instituted both baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are meant by God as a way to shape us and mature us. It's part of God's plan for us to grow as Christians. They are not just additions to the Christian life. They're not just kind of special, like the AP classes of Christianity, the ordinances. Now, you can take them if you're kind of serious about growing, but you don't have to have it all the time. It's kind of there. It's kind of like the multivitamin of the Christian life. Take it when you remember, but yeah, if you miss it, it's no big deal. That is not what the Bible says about the ordinances. It puts the ordinances in this, really in the center of what the church does, what makes the church a church, the identity of a church. Baptism is a display of spiritual truths. Jesus washing away our sin, uniting himself to us in, with new life through the resurrection. In the Lord's Supper, we see gospel truths displayed when we who are many are one body when we partake of one bread. That's 1 Corinthians 10. The Lord's Supper serves as a memorial meal to remember Christ's sacrificial death, his atoning blood, and what unites us together as a church family. So as we look ahead at 2022, I want us to read the Bible, preach the Bible, sing the Bible. I had another one in there, but there's no time. Pray the Bible, but let's proclaim the Bible together through the ordinances. I'd like to encourage us to commit ourselves to the priority and importance of these ordinary means of grace, to participating together with the Lord's Supper, to be present when, by God's grace, we see people confess faith in Christ and are baptized and added to this church family. So here's what it means. It means that when we resume our normal service schedule and we begin to put communion in that spot after the service, please don't leave. I'm going to be shameless in this, but I feel like I can be because God lets us be shameless about saying, this is what God's plan is, let's obey. Please stick around for communion. I know we're going to do it right here with with a seamless transition, so you're kind of all a captive audience, right? Friends, I want to renew our commitment to these ordinary means of grace. When we start looking past these ordinary things, preaching, ah, singing, eh, reading the Bible, eh, Lord's Supper, eh. friends, if that's ever our, our perspective, if that's ever the response of our heart toward these ordinary means of grace, That means we have just looked at what God plans for us to flourish, to gather and to grow as a church family. And we've said, not interested. God, we've got something better. We've got some other strategy, some other plan that we can outdo you, God. And none of us would would actually say that. 
We, we realize we're not that arrogant to actually put that down on paper, but we can start saying that in how we live. And friends, I want to encourage us back to these very basics, these simple, ordinary means of grace. As we do this week after week, sing the Bible, pray the Bible, preach the Bible, read the Bible, proclaim the Bible and the ordinances, as we do this week by week, God has promised His Word will produce a harvest of righteousness in us. God has promised by His Word, through His Spirit, He will transform our thinking, our feeling, our behaving in ways that will display His glory in a sin-cursed world. I'll ask the music team to come up so they can prepare to lead us as we observe communion here in just a moment. I want to prepare us as we think about communion. The Lord's Supper reminds us of the importance of two areas of relationship. Our relationship with the Lord as our Savior and a relationship with other Christians. How is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? The Lord's Supper is a time to recommit your life to God as we remember Christ's great saving acts. That question was not meant to cause you guilt. That question was meant to invite you to experience the free gift of God's grace again in Jesus Christ. His blood washes away all our sin. And that is true today. 